Welcome to The Positivity Effect, where paying it forward and doing something positive in someone's life can provide them with the confidence and motivation to do the same for someone else. Like a stone dropped into a lake, let's create a ripple effect of positivity throughout our world. And it begins with your host, Dr. Thomas Retcher. Hey, what's going on, guys? Dr. Tom here, and you're listening to The Positivity Effect, episode number 113, Avoiding a Suicide of the Soul. Thank you so much for tuning in, guys. If this podcast has impacted you in some way, invite a friend or a family member to listen to the show. This podcast, it's a movement, and together we can create a ripple effect of positivity throughout our world, throughout our families, in our circle of friends, in our communities, and ultimately throughout the world, one person at a time. To connect with me and also to receive my insights from today's episode, text the word POSITIVITY to the number 44222. Joining us today is Coot. Blackson. Coote is an utterly unique visionary in the world of human potential, unlike those who promise to simply help people get what they want. Coote's life work instead reveals to people what they also have to give by liberating who they are most truly and deeply. And the focus is freedom. Coote's own background and experience lay out the blueprint for his approach to liberating others setting their gifts and greatness free. Born in Ghana, West Africa, his multicultural upbringing as the child of a Japanese mother and Ghanaian father raised in London and on four different continents defies all stereotype. The son of a revered spiritual leader, Coote was speaking to his father's congregations in more than 300 churches by the age of eight, guys. At the age of 14, he was ordained into his father's ministry and groomed to carry on the family's spiritual legacy. But his heart's truth drew him to separate from his father's ministry and come to Los Angeles in 1995. Coote courageously and daringly came to America with two suitcases and a dream seeking out many of the spiritual and self-help icons who inspired him when he was still a boy. He quickly learned that the outside-in approach had to become an inside-out approach. So he decided to create his own process, a process that liberates the individual at the core. This process helps the individual get in touch with who they really are. It is a process of breaking free so that each person can live, give, and share the truest expression of his or herself. This is what Coot calls liberated living. And he's here today. It's a special episode. We talk about some of his first fondest memories Lessons from from miracles and from his father, uh, the importance of following your truth and not following expectations and asking that que- that big question, who am I really? We talk about the role of fear in our lives and gratitude and so much more. So guys, get yourself into a peak state wherever you're listening right now and help me welcome now Coot to the Positivity Effect. 
Hey, what's going on, Coots? Welcome to the Positivity Effect, man. It's great to be here, bro. I've been uh, looking forward to it tremendously, Thomas. Absolutely. And we can go, <laughs> we can make this interview like a week long, but you know, and, and it's only going to be 20 minutes, but I'm so excited to just share with the listeners your story. You have an incredible, incredible story. So let's just, yeah, I'd just let's take us back a few years and tell us where, you know, how you yeah. got to LA and, and, and to sure. how you're, you know, changing people's lives today. Sure. Yeah. I was born in Ghana, West Africa. My father's from Ghana. Uh, my mother's Japanese. I grew up in London. I live in LA now. So people ask me, where are you from? I, I never know, depending on what <laughs> it's and how I feel. So I really feel like a citizen of the world and have a connection with you know all people. And my first memories were really two things in terms of how I got to this point and doing what I'm doing right now. I remember being around age five and feeling this deep calling to serve people, a deep calling to serve humanity. And it was just this absurd Session, this burning desire to make a difference in people's lives, and I, I just just felt this calling to, to inspire people, you know. And I remember that was around age five, age six. I obviously didn't know the specifics of how I was going to do that. But the other thing that really informed my life was being a, a chubby kid lost in the crowd in Ghana, West Africa. I must have been around age six, age seven, and uh, I'll never forget being this kid lost in the crowd, seeing a crippled woman uh, crawling on the floor on her hands and knees, and picking up the sand. A man walked on and wiping it on her face and standing up and so week after week you, you could say that was a miracle you know week after week i grew up seeing blind people seeing and deaf people hearing and wow. and miracle after miracle after miracle you know and, and and basically i would see this man uh who who sand she picked up this man would look at a woman uh, let's say a woman in a wheelchair and say stand up why, why are you sitting down stand up you're not sick you know and and so she would stand up so i, I grew up seeing these crazy uh out of the ordinary miracles that as a young boy really seemed very ordinary to me. This man was my father. He built 300 churches in Ghana, West Africa. He built one huge church in London. It was a very mystical, spiritual, positive man, you know, oh, wow. and, and an amazing, you could say, spiritual inspiration to many people around the world. And so I grew up with him as a father and I grew up with this sense of possibility. So age eight, I started to speak in my father's churches. Uh, and age 14, I was actually announced and given a mandate to be the successor to my father and to take over. I was ordained as a minister at a very young age. And, uh, you know, what was interesting was I, even though I wanted to make a difference in people's lives, I knew even at 14 that my path wasn't what my father wanted for me. My father That's had incredible. expectations, you know, for my life, right? And Yeah. And, uh, I didn't really have the courage to say no and, and, and I, I guess I didn't know any other way, but I also did, I didn't want to disappoint him. I didn't want to let him down. I didn't want to disappoint, rock the boat, disappoint uh, the expectations of so many other people uh, as well uh, that were part of the congregation. So I, I went along with it and was terrified. It took me about four years to muster up the courage to have the conversation with my father and follow my own truth. And I think so many of us, we feel a deeper truth in our hearts. We feel a deeper truth of what we're supposed to do, whether it's a relationship, whether it's our life purpose, whether it's start a business. And so often we don't follow the truth. And what I found and what, I've, what I teach is, is that one of the first keys to transformation is we have to follow the truth. And many times we rationalize we settle, we deny, we lie to ourselves, we distract ourselves, we busy ourselves from the deeper truth because we're afraid. We're afraid of the consequences. We're afraid of what will happen. We're afraid of, oh, oh God, if I really own the truth, I might lose this relationship. I might have to leave my job. And then how will I survive? And 
my my fear was I would lose my father, I'd be abandoned, I'd be outcast, and and uh, so for about four years I was terrified. Uh, after about four years, seventeen, eighteen, I finally mustered up, mustered up the courage to uh, stand on my own two feet and follow my heart and have the conversation with my father and let go and follow my path because I I remember one day looking into my future and seeing Thomas that if I followed my father's expectations for my life and what everyone else wanted me to be and do. I was going to be miserable. It was going to be a suicide, you could say, of my soul. And I might be successful by everyone else's standards. But uh, if I didn't have myself, I had nothing. And so I decided to follow my soul, my, soul, my heart, my truth, and uh, leave everything behind and wow. follow, follow my path. And that's what brought me to the U.S., uh, two suitcases, $1,000, knew no one in the country. Uh, cut a long story short, I... I ended up winning a green card in the lottery. <laughs> green card, there's a, such a thing as a green card lottery. And that's what proved to me that, you know, when I, when I don't compromise my heart, when I don't compromise my truth, when I really follow, when we follow our soul's knowing, uh, the universe really rises to support us. And uh, that's what enabled me to come to the U.S. at, at 18, uh, 18, 19 years old and, and I came and I went and found teachers and mentors, many of the famous authors from the, from the Chopras, the Jack Canfields, the Marion Williamson's of the world to a lot of unknown teachers, healers, uh, and uh, facilitators. And, and then I started traveling. And, and my life as a young boy was always, I was always obsessed with who are we and why are we here and what's the purpose of life and why are some people happy? Why are some people miserable? And this is what really drove me. And it was really through my own journeys and process of transformation and ended up traveling to places like Japan, studying with monks, to Israel, studied with rabbis, to Thailand, to Indonesia, to to Africa, you know, on all sorts of quests, really, tr really seeking answers for myself. And it was through my own transformation that I came back and decided to start coaching and teaching. And one by one, one person transformed, another person transformed. And before you know it, the word spread around the world. And uh, now I have clients in about 26 countries, travel the world teaching, and uh, just privileged to, to, to inspire people to, to be who they really are. Wow, I have so many questions right now. <laughs> Um, I'm, I'm sure even just for everybody listening as well, as it's incredible that you were so gifted with this, this force, uh, you know, this foresight uh, mm. at such a young age at 14 years old. I'm just asking you like, yeah. what was that like as a, as a young man, a young 14 year old, like with all that pressure on your shoulders, but not, it's all, it's a good yeah. pressure. Like, you know, it's yeah. not a bad pressure, but wow. You, like you said, you're like, I have to make this decision to either to, to follow up with this lineage or to go off on this this quest, this path of what's deeper down inside of me. Yeah, I, I mean, I felt the calling. You know, I wanted to help people. I, I I just really felt that that was my life, and and you know, because I didn't know any other way. I I, I read my first self help book when I was eight. When I was eleven, I remember reading people like uh, Jack Canfield and Deepak and Tony Robbins, and that's what opened my eyes to wait a second. Maybe there's a different way to transmit inspiration. Maybe there's a different way to do it. I don't have to do it through this organized structure of a church or religion. Nothing wrong with it. It's just mm -hmm. I, I was being called in a different, you know, in a, in a different direction. And that's what really inspired me, you know. So, uh, I, 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 you know, it, on one level, it didn't feel like a pressure because I wanted to, to, to really help people and, and inspire people. On another level, 
I knew the truth and I knew my heart was calling me in a different direction. And I tried to deny it, which is what we sometimes do. We try to deny, we try to suppress, we try to distract. Uh, but the calling was too strong. And, uh, uh, and that's when I just decided to follow, my, to follow my heart. But I really believe that, you know, uh, there's no shortage of people that will tell you who you should be and the kind of life you should live. I mean, society, we're constantly being bombarded with images by television and media. It's like, live this way, be this way. You know, media is constantly telling us you're not enough. But hey, if you just go to the school, if you drive this car, if you wear this underwear, if you believe this thing, if you drink this beer, then you're finally going, <laughs> okay, you know, we're being sold. Right. So I think it takes, you know, it takes a lot of courage to say, wait a second, who am I really? And that, those are the questions I started asking myself. You know, I, I would say I was blessed. You know, I started asking myself at a very young age, who am I? And why am I here? And is this the life I want to be, really be living? And I think one of the things that keeps us stuck is are the ways that we lie to ourselves. We pretend. One of the games I see people playing, and I even did it myself, is we, we play this game of I don't really know. I'm not really sure what my truth is. I'm not really sure. I tell people, look, living a fulfilled and happy life on one level is quite simple. It's not always easy. It's simple. It's simple in that we just have to tell the truth, feel the truth, embrace the truth, live the truth, speak the truth. Then, of course, we're going to be happy. And anytime I've seen someone not happy or miserable in some way, on some way, they are denying the truth of what they know. And I think the game that we play is this game of, I, I, I don't know, I'm not sure, I'm not sure, Thomas, if this relationship is really like right for me. You know, I'm not sure what my life purpose is. I'm not sure what decision I should make. And, and usually, deep down, we know. We do know. There is a deep knowing, but we're often afraid of the consequences. We're often afraid of the consequences of what will happen if I really honor myself, if I really follow my truth. And I think uh, to really unstuck ourselves, unstuck our lives, we have to be willing to tell the truth. So I, for the listeners, I'd say, hey, what, what, what are you pretending to not know and own that knowing? And, and I think that was, that was key for me. What, what I find really fascinating about your story is that you had this knowing of of seeking truth at such a young age and whether you call it this divine intervention that was just the seed that was planted in you at such a young age or or the the environment this beautiful environment that you, this beautiful spiritual environment that you grew mm -hmm. up with with that in mind through all your journeys of how you were mentioned how you traveled around the world to all these different groups and different settings and and cultures and and after seeing so many different different types of people I'm sure that there's some common themes that, that come up as well, even though everybody's different in a way, everybody's the same. So what, what are some of these things that, that prevent people from getting to that truth that, that you had, had, yes. so blessed, had been blessed with at such yeah. a young age? So, so I think it's a great question. And, and I would say let me peel back a layer and take you back so we could, I think, really see the whole picture as to – Ultimately, why at the deepest level, we really are all the same. Number one, we're being lived and breathed 
by the same consciousness, the same force. What's breathing me is breathing you, is breathing the guy mm-hmm. in India, is breathing the guy, the Maasai warrior in Africa, is breathing the Egyptian, you know, college student, is breathing everyone. It's just one, one breath, one force, one consciousness, I believe, that's living everything. So that's one thing. But so when we're born, right? And when we're born as children, we're born free. We're born in touch with this essence. We're in touch with this consciousness. You look at it into a child's eyes before they, you know, get beaten up with the challenges of life. They're, they're alive. You can see the infinite. You can see the spark of the divine. A child will jump on the table and sing and dance and, and shout. And, and it doesn't care. Well, can I sing? What will Thomas think of me? You know, <laughs> think of me. It, it doesn't get on the table. Do you think I'm fat? You know, it just, just expresses itself. It's like life is expressing through yes. this kid. And so I, I, I always ask people, do you remember that moment when you were a kid? Like, what the hell happened? You know, we grow up and we become so contracted and so conditioned. Yeah, we, we were born these bright beings were whole, perfect, complete. Then, we went into life and we met our parents and our parents, some of which were screwed up, some of which were amazing, some of which were challenged. So they, you know, they were just doing the best that they could with what they had. They, they, they were conditioned and programmed by their parents and their parents and on and on and on, back generations. So here they are doing the best that they can. But we face different experiences, pain, trauma, abuse. Maybe we're just neglected. Maybe we're bullied. Maybe they're me. Maybe they're, maybe they're not around. I mean, we all have our stories of wounds and pains of things we experienced, even if they were subtle. So slowly as children, two things happen. We learn a certain way of being in order to 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 like not feel the pain, we start disconnecting from the pain and we start learning all sorts of strategies to not feel, to disconnect, to shut down, to suppress. Because, you know, maybe when my mom is not around or my dad is not around it's it, and, and I feel neglected, it's too painful and I don't want to feel that. So I learn a way to, to numb my feelings, to turn it off so I don't have to feel the pain of certain things from my childhood. So that's number one. And then we suppress those emotions, those layers build up. Up, build up, build up. Before you know it, we kind of end up disconnecting from our true, authentic self. So that's the first thing. The second thing is then we learn a sort of way of being. We go out into the world and we learn like, who do I need to be in order to get love from my parents? Wow, maybe if I'm nice, maybe if I'm kind, maybe if I'm funny, maybe if I'm who do I need to be? So we start developing a persona. We start developing a mask, a personality a way of being that ultimately is designed to function, survive, and get us love, validation, approval, and uh, connection. And so we start contorting ourselves into a certain person that is not who we really are, think we are, and we identify with this person. We identify with this way of being as a pain love, validation, and we think that's who we are. We say, well, it's just who I am. So I like to ask people, is who you are who you really are, or is it you've been conditioned to be? Because the degree to which you've been conditioned is that you are not really, really free. So, so in terms of as I travel the world and I see you know people that are black, white, five foot seven, six foot seven, two foot seven. I mean, you name it. You know, uh, all cultures, economic, social, billionaire, celebrities, athletes. You know, a person in the slum. At the deepest level, we all go through this process of conditioning. We come in bright, whole, complete, and then we go through this process and we get conditioned by experiences, society, parents, caretakers, upbringing, and then we identify with who we have become in order to function and survive as a way to function, as a way to, su- to survive ultimately, and we kind of start forgetting 
who we really are. And, uh, and the degree to which we're identified is the degree to which we're not free. So I think we can all relate in that we go through that process. And I think part of the journey of life for each of us is uh, we're here to wake up. We're here to remember who we are. We're here to peel back the layers, to peel away the layers like an onion and, 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 and reconnect with our authentic selves. And I think for all of us, that is the journey of life. And we have all, we, we've all been through that uh, process of conditioning. I, that was really powerful. The, the degree to which we are connected is the de- degree to which we are, are not free. That's really to, you yeah. know, connected to those those the degree to which we're conditioned, yeah. The yeah. degree to which we're conditioned is the degree to because we think we're free. You know, well, oh, I'm choosing. I have free choice, but we don't realize we've been run by our programming, our conditioning, most of which is being passed down to us. You know, from our parents, from their parents. So I kind of ask people, hey, be willing to not be so sure of who you think you are, because sometimes we're so sure of who we think we are, and it's not who we think we. It's not who we really are. You know, so uh, I think that's that's part of the freedom is to is to unravel one's conditioning and to unravel one's conditioning. You have to tell the truth. You also then have to start becoming aware uh, and you have to start questioning yourself. And you have to you also have to be willing to feel to feel the feelings that you've learned to suppress, the suppressing of which has kept you stuck in a uh, certain set way of being. Are all fears that we have as adults nothing more than a manifestation of the of this conditioning that we have throughout life? I think two things. I would say one thing, I think the fear can be a manifestation of the conditioning for sure, you know, uh, for sure. But the second thing, I, I would also say uh, fear to me is not really good or bad, but I, li- I like to have a relationship with fear. I, I believe the goal is not about getting rid of the fear or, or even being fearless, you know, because I think fear is a signal. And I think fear is signaling to us a part of us that needs attention. And, and, and I think if we can take the label off of fear as good or, or bad and take those labels off and really learn to question and get curious, wow, this is a sensation, this is an energy that's moving through, I'm afraid. And if I can take the label off and just feel it as a sensation, then I can really maybe pay attention to the signal. Is there something I need to pay attention to? Is there something, you know, that's actually really dangerous? Or is it just my mind that's spinning a story about something that's creating this this experience that isn't really real? So I think we have to start investigating ourselves and and really being present without attention. But But I like to say that it's not about getting rid of fear because the energy of fear serves a function if we can have a relationship with it um, and, and be aware. And many times fear uh, is excitement without breath. And if we can be present and breathe, often the fear will transform. You know, the fear will soften. The fear will lessen. And, and that energy that's moving can be harnessed and utilized in a positive way. Like when I go to speak, I, I wouldn't say I feel fear, but I always feel a little butterfly adrenaline in a good way. Mm, you know, I, mean, mm. I, I, could, I could let that take over and collapse me, you know, and, and if I were to, let's say, focus on, oh my God, what will Thomas think? What will the audience think? What will people think? Oh my God, there's a thousand people in the room. And I, uh, you know, now, and often 
it's easy to collapse into fear in a, in a negative sense when we are so fixated on ourselves. When we are simply fixated on me and my and what will they think about me rather than, let's say, acknowledging the energy, breathing it in, taking the label off of it and going, okay, I'm just fixing on myself. I'm contracting in on myself. Let me focus on, let's say, serving the audience. Let me focus on serving the people I'm about to speak to. Then that energy can transform. But that same energy that was previously fear is now excitement. You know, So I think it's, it's really our relationship with it that's key. I have that same that same feeling of those butterflies that I, I the same way I just think of it as excitement over instead of uh, a fear uh, when I play I actually sing and play guitar at church wow. and wow. It's, that started out same thing very early on it was and then I, I recognized no no this is not something to be fearful of this is something that's excitement and then I, I almost like started to to yearn for that that butterfly and I'm like wow that's it's mm-hmm. such a powerful powerful experience but. Kut, this has just been an absolutely ex- extraordinary conversation for me. And um, tomorrow, you know, guys, we're, we're going to have Kut back on in, in a couple of days, and we're going to be talking about something really powerful that he does with when he works with clients one-on-one. And as well, we're going to be talking about his book a little bit. But this is almost like a little uh, a little selfish thing for me because I'm just so I'm so um, open right now. My heart is so open with this conversation, and I really believe when when you have these deep conversations with somebody, even when you're not present physically, it's it, your, your mind starts to kind of sync up with each other and you can feel it the, in your heart just, and, and, and in your voice, just hearing your, your story and the way that you, you, you serve people and you serve others. So I'd love for you just really quick to take a moment for the audience, almost just like a little exercise for the audience to listen to you, to share with us things that you think about when, when, to, to keep yourself centered and focused to, to, of, of gratitude, things that you're grateful for and the way that you approach gratitude, maybe like, almost like uh, let us be like a, a, you know, a, a wallflower right now in, in your mind, uh, basically, of what you think about. I'd, I'd love for people to hear that uh, kind of uh, directly from you. you know, yeah, as I say that, as it's just a lead into that, and I think it's beautiful, is, is one thing for gratitude that I have found, and then I'll kind of let you into my mind, is is we have to give up entitlement. And I mean, I, we'll talk about this, you know, in, in the next interview, but we have to give up entitlement, the sense that like God owes me something or my parents owe me something or life owes me something. And, and for me, in terms of gratitude, what I have come to is this profound realization. I, I realized many years ago, you know, Thomas, why I wasn't being grateful and why I wasn't being grateful is to really be grateful requires a, a surrender of the ego. I mean, strangely mm-hmm. enough, it requir- for me, it required a surrender of the ego to what you might ask. It requires a surrender of ego to life, the recognition that there is a greater process than ourselves. Some call it God. Some call it the infinite. Some call it consciousness. Some call it you know, energy. Like There is something you know, that is living everything. And, and, and so... I realized that part of why we as a, a species, as human beings, don't really, like, we know we should be grateful, but part of why we resist full-on gratitude, like, thank you, universe, thank you, God, thank you, life, like, this, like, we, why don't we wake up just like, oh, my God, I'm alive, this mm. sense of gratitude is because it requires a profound surrender of the ego, and it profounds, it requires a recognition 
of what it is that's actually living. And the ego, the sense of identity, the sense of self wants to be like, no, 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 I'm in control. No, no, I'm running my life. No, no, it's me that's doing all when in fact the recognition of the process, the recognition of that there is a greater intelligence, a greater force, uh, a divine intelligence that's running this whole thing and to surrender to the process is, uh, is very humbling for the ego. So we often resist gratitude because to be in gratitude requires complete surrender to acknowledging there is something that is doing all of this that we get to thank and be grateful for. So for me, there is um, each breath I take I am, is like a meditation. It's like a prayer. Each breath I take, as much as I can, moment to moment awareness of just like feeling the profundity of each breath, you know, feeling like, whoa, like I'm being breathed right now by something. <laughs> oh, like, I'm being breathed. Like, we take it for granted, you know? Like, wait, I, like, like, something is breathing me. I'm not even trying to breathe. I'm being breathed by an intelligence, by a force, by the divine. Like, and, and to really just feel that, it, it is, it's the sense, Thomas, of, of feeling like how much life is loving me each moment. I mean, sometimes it's easy to feel sorry for ourselves. We feel alone. We feel life is hard. We feel life is tough. We feel, you know, but the moments I just feel my breath and remember the grace of the universe, the grace of the divine, the grace of life. And, and, and like life is loving me so profoundly in each second, in each breath. That is proof of life's love. It's proof of God's love. It's proof of love of the universe, you know, and, and just to be grateful for that, man, is, is, is like, what else do I need? You know, <laughs> what else do I want? You know, a car, a house, it's a, it's great. It's a bonus, but, but like life, this is it. So I think more and more it's, it's just the recognition of, of, of the miracle basically of the moment. You know, and, uh, just to kind of just that was just beautiful thank you for that and just to wrap this up like with a, a bow is that you you think of when you have this like juxtaposition of maybe there's a society that's a wealthy society and maybe there's a society that they're very wealthy spiritually maybe they don't have physical things or a lot of money but it, it's almost like the people that don't have the money or the physical things that are tying them down are so much more free than the individuals that are so worried about the next house, the next biggest thing, the next car, which are, it's beautiful to have those goals of having, trying to drive ourselves and have more things monetarily and physically. But man, when just what you just described, just having that, that gratitude for the breath and <laughs> that you're alive, you got, you woke up today and there is something that is keeping that heart beating right now mm. is truly, it's incredible guys. And, uh, I'm at a pretty peaceful peaceful place right now. I hope you guys are too. And it's just been an, uh, a really wonderful experience, Kud, having you on. And um, I'm just really excited to have you back on in a couple of days. So, guys, this has been incredible. Please check out Kut. Go to, over to kutblackson.com. You're going to get some information about his book that's out right now. It's really powerful. You are the one. And Kut's going to be back on in a couple of days to tell us more about that and how 
he's tra- he's transforming so many lives through that that book. So, Kud, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, and I look forward to speaking with you soon. I can't wait, my friend. Thank you for having me. Take care.